When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The glorious, pious, and immortal memory of the great and good King William, not forgetting Oliver Cromwell, who assisted in redeeming us from popery, slavery, arbitrary power, brass money, and wooden shoes. May we never want a Williamite to kick the backside of a Jacobite, and a fig for the Bishop of Cork. And he that won't drink this, whether he be priest, bishop, deacon, bellows blower, grave digger, or any other of the fraternity of the clergy, may a north wind blow him to the south, and a west wind blow him to the east. May he have a dark night, a lee shore, a rank storm, and a leaky vessel to carry him over the river Styx. May the dog Cerberus make a meal of his rump, and Pluto a snuffbox of his skull. And may the devil jump down his throat with a red-hot arrow, and with every pin tear out a gut, and blow him with a clean carcass to hell. Amen! A Toast Among Toasts, written in the 17th century, the same century that Bushmills Distillery was granted the first ever licence to distill in the world. And there's much toasting, tasting and talking around the subject of whisky. However, the essential ingredients that go into the making of Irish whisky are water, barley, yeast, wood and thyme. At Bushmills Distillery on the North Antrim coast, you could get a sense of that timelessness as we walked around the plant with Managing Director Gil Jefferson. Bushmills has everything on the one side. And this side dates back to 1608. We, we, we have our own um, mice house, we have our own fermenters, still house, we have our own warehousing, own bottling plant, and on top of all that, we have probably one of the best tourist centres in the north of Ireland. So when people come to visit us, we can take them every step that Bushmills whisky is made from, right from the grain, or right from the malted barley comes in to the case goods goes out the door. And that is very unique. Um, and as you can see, the buildings around here, have quite a lot of buildings date back to the early 1600s as well. The brickwork is magnificent. Well, as you, guess, I mean, as you know, in the old days, uh, I, I suppose everything was, everybody had a master craft to do something. And the people that put most of these buildings up at, uh, uh, in, in their time were master craftsmen, just like we are master craftsmen making whiskey. Now, in the old days, um, most of the whiskey companies would have had their own maltings. But nowadays, because of, of the movement forward in whiskey, uh, most companies buy their malted barley in. We would buy our malted barley in here from, from different companies within Ireland. Jemison Whiskey was named Jemison after the Jemison family powers, after the powers family paddy because of the person. The interesting thing about Bushmills is Bushmills whiskey is named after the place. Yeah, that's right. But if you if you actually think about it, Bushmills come from two two things here up in the town. One was the old mill and the river Bush. And in the old days when when you had the textile trade the, the river boost supplied all the power to the mill. 
So it was very easy to join together, Bush Mills. And then from, from that, the, uh, the distillery was called Bush Mills, and so were all the products. But here we're very proud, I mean, to have the tradition that they're called after the town, uh, which, you know, which is in the North Antrim coast. Is whisky more than a business to you? Yeah, whisky, whisky goes back hundreds of years. Uh, and I suppose, I suppose the nice thing about it is it's the people that you meet within the whisky business. The stories, uh, how it happened in the old days, how they do it today. Because at the, at, at the end of it all, whisky is whisky. Uh, and the way they made it hundreds of years ago and today, the process is still the same. Maybe, um, I mean, the technology has slightly changed, but this has gone back centuries. Now, Gil, you were around for the making of the Bush 16. How exciting was that? I s- suppose it was, the, I mean, the most exciting thing that's happened, I mean, to Bush Mills here in the last, say, 20, 25 years. It's a superb whiskey. It's 16-year-old, and it's matured in, in three woods, and uh, we, we now say it's not only triple distilled, it's, it's, it's triple wooded. Uh, it's been uh, it's been matured in um, uh, to start off with in American bourbon barrels, uh, then followed on into sherry casks and then into port port pipes. But it is absolutely superb. The the the, the taste that comes through it, um, uh, you can actually get the taste from each of the different woods that that's in it and and the way it's been distilled. And it is it, it's at least sixteen year old. Even though we say it's sixteen year old, sixteen year old means that you know, it's 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 over sixteen, but it, it could be seventeen or, or whatever. But it's a, it's a sixteen-year-old. People in the whiskey business develop a passion about whiskey. Do you think it's to do with the minding aspect? Because you get a, a liquid out of a pot still, you put it into a barrel, and it can it has to be minded for so many years, and it has to be tasted, and so is people get attached to the. To the to the making of whiskey. Yeah, I, I, I suppose you could look at you could look look at as I mean as a family, as your son and daughters growing up. That's what I mean. That's what that's what the whiskey business is to us. We we are the family, and so then the whiskey is part of that family. And we feel very proud that whatever we make today in the still house, when that leaves this plant, whether it's in 10, 15, or 20 years. We want to ensure that we have looked after it as a family. And there is a passion in it. The people that work in the warehouses are very proud of the way they mature the whiskey up there. The tastings that go on during the time it's there to, to ensure that the highest quality, the highest standards are maintained year in, year out. It's not... People may have a view that we just put it, in, put it into a warehouse, it just lies. That doesn't happen. We are carrying out quality checks year in, year out. And it's the people that are involved in that that... It's, it's like they're, they're, they're growing up with their own family. The whiskey is growing as they're growing, and it's, it's like a son and daughter to them. And is that the connection then with the past? Is that why whiskey has such a, a historical kind of a feel to it? It is, because if, if, if you look at the one industry within Ireland, probably the whiskey industry uh, is, is the long, longest standing um, I mean, industry left. And it's families. I mean, people go back generations. The son is here today, the father was here 20 years ago, the grandfather, the great-grandfather. It was from one family. The, the, the secret, not the secret, but the, the passion on, and also how, how to make whiskey was passed from family to family. 
I mean, technology today is an aid. The one thing that it does for you is that you you are being consistent. It helps you to be, I mean, to be consistent in in in, in making your product. That's all it does. Uh, the the secret is still in the master distiller, the people working in the still house, the maturation, the cast that you use, uh, the fermentation. The process is still the same from hundreds of years, and that's that is the secret of making whiskey. That the process is the same. The technology has helped to to help standardise how we do it, but the secret has never changed. Now we've arrived here in the cooperage, and uh, what's in your cooper? What's in the cook? You're a cooper. Yes, and this is Johnny Keane, the ex-cooper. Uh, ex a long ex time ago. Cooper. <laughs> now, what does a cooper do? Just uh, all they do here is repair barrels, replace broken staves, and uh, buy stems and hoops, as usual. You have to do those things and make sure the cask is sound prior to filling. That's what more or less entails. But Johnny, in the days when you were working and the cooperage was in full flight, what exactly was the function of a cooper? Well, it was different than now because the cooper was involved in everything to do with barrels. They, uh, even at, from the emptying of the barrels for the blending, right through to the filling of the barrels and stacking them in the warehouses, the cooper was involved in everything like that. They weren't in the, coop weren't in the cooperage like 100% of the time. You had so many errors in and then the rest of the time, the filling days you were out, and uh, they also had the many time we'd been involved in the stenciling of the barrels, putting the sign on them prior to going to the filling store again. And the same with the blending. They had to go to the warehouses and take down the casks to take to the blending area. What's the craft in Cooperage? The whole thing is to keep your they get your joints and your wood exact. They have to be exact. Otherwise the, the whiskey runs out of it. Just take this barrel here now, like where and these, see how the joint where the head would be jointed, and then round the croise here, where the head is, in, is fitted into the, the barrel itself, and also the angle of the joints in the barrel. If you overangle them or not enough, you have the joint opens down here between the hips, and all the driving of the hips you do would make no difference whatsoever. So your joint has to be exact, and everything has to be so that the barrel can be put into the, the filling store filled and into the warehouse for the number of years required without losing whiskey. Now there isn't a nail in this, Johnny? No. Though these barrels, especially this type, uh, the ends are dialled with wooden dials. So they are. But on the joints of the staves, down the joints, there is nothing. It's the hoops simply holds your barrel together. That's what it is. The, hoops, the pressure of the hoops. And what's in these hoops are called different names. Yes. This is the end hip. And the middle one is a quarter hip, and the bottom one is a bilge hip. And the bilge hip is where the it's roundest, yes, where the barrel is roundest. Yes, it's the biggest chest. Yes, surely yes. And what do you do now? What are the tools that you use here? Well, we have a hammer and driver. This is for taking hips off or putting on. So that's to, to tighten the barrels up. So uh, you know. You can also whistle a tune if you so wish. You could. Get a tune or hum it to yourself and, and keep the rhythm going that way. But no, it's done quite often. You'll get ones there, they'll, they'll hum a tune to themselves and they'll beat away to this. You see. It's not the matter of lifting the hammer away above your head. It's a matter of the rhythm just keeping steady tapping all the time and it'll drive the hip just the same job. So do you whistle a tune when you're working? Yes, 
I do, of course. Whistlers sing. You usually get me singing sometimes whenever you walk in on men. But nothing at all, you know. <laughs> no special tune, just anything that comes to mind. But I mean, if you're at that there all day, you have to do something to keep yourself going right, you know. Keep yourself sane. <laughs> As you can't get out the black bush till afterwards. <laughs> now, lads, you must have known some characters in your time. Because I believe the cooperage was a law unto itself. Would that be true? <laughs> yes, I could put it like that. <laughs> there are some rare rules on it right enough. As you said, uh, there's usually a bar or two with a, a wee drop in it, you know. And it had to take it out before you opened it on up, you know. And afraid of losing it. <laughs> it's been a sin, you know, it ran over the floor. And all barrels always went down them too. Oh, yes. Mm, guaranteed. <laughs> and... Now, is Cooperage in, in your families? No. Or whisk, what about the whiskey being around Bushmills? Is that in your families at all? Oh, yes. The, the, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side worked in here. And my mother was in here. And my sister and my brother-in-law and my son and my father. My father was in it 49 and a half years. So the, the, uh, he, the, the, we've been in it, for, our family been in it quite some time. What does whiskey mean to you, Johnny? Well, that's... To tell you, it's actually only um, the something that has makes had made Bushmills famous to start with. And although myself, I never drink it, and I never have. <laughs> and uh, but uh, like it's, when it, no matter where you go, anywhere in the world, they've heard of Bushmills whiskey. What does whiskey mean to you, Watson? Well, whiskey is well, it's been my life. I had up so to, to so far, so it's. And it's a lovely taste, especially the black bush when you know it's lovely. Uh, but oh, whiskey's. So it's very a way good. of being as, a way, uh, as much as a way of life? Oh, yes. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> the atmosphere uh, in a warehouse is uh, typically woody with a mustiness because you put your casks away and you leave them there for maybe five years. Uh, so they're sitting in place. You do get some evaporation through the wood. You get characteristics from the wood coming out into the atmosphere. And really, what you're sampling here at the minute is part of the angel share. The angel share being the evaporation uh, that happens naturally through the wood as the years go on. So the angels get a share of the alcohol that's in the air. That is, in fact, true. Yes, if, uh, if you ever come to Bush Mills and uh, see any angels flying about, you'll see they always have a smile on their face. <laughs> and do you get everything you wish for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> now, when you said five years, if, um, if the whiskey is 16 years old, it stays then for at least 16 years in the cask? That is true. It has to be the age of the whiskey. Has to be the period of time that it spends in wood. Uh, yeah. Are these casks turned? No, they're not turned. They're just put in place and left untouched for any number of years. Yeah. So that's the sense of stillness here. That is correct. Yeah. Mm. Tell me about the barrels. There are different shapes. Well, we use primarily three different types of cask uh, at the distillery here. Um, 
Mostly they uh, would be American barrels, uh, and these barrels would have originally been seasoned with bourbon in America. Um, we also would use some sherry casks. There are hogsheads, which are, uh, they contain about 250 litres. Uh, they would have been seasoned in Spain with sherry. We also have other sherry casks called butts, which are twice the size uh, of hogsheads, 500 litres, and again uh, seasoned with sherry. And then uh, the sherry or the bourbon in turn imparts a flavour to the spirit inside. So it's on the inside of the cask and it's going into the alcohol. That's correct. And there's yes. a whole lot of chemical reactions there's happening. There's lots of things going on over the years, <laughs> yeah. And is it the longer that the whiskey is in, that the more the chemical reactions happen? Or? Up to a point, um, but contrary to pop- popular belief, uh, whiskey doesn't improve with age after, say, 20 years in one cask. That's Bush Mills. That's Paddy. That's Paolo's. And that's Jemison. And that's John Clement Ryan, a member of the Power family. The two major Dublin distilleries, Powers in John's Lane and Jemison's in Bow Street, when Irish Distillers was formed in the 70s, moved their distilling operations to Middleton in Cork. Recently, the Jemison distillery reopened on the original Bow Street site as a heritage centre. There we met John Clement Ryan, who has written a history of Irish whisky and whose family, the Power family, has been involved in whisky making for generations. Yes, in fact, I'm the seventh generation of my family to be involved in the whisky business. Uh, my father, my uncle, my grandfather, and two granduncles, all the way back to 1791, made uh, Powers Irish whisky in John's Lane Distillery in, D- in Thomas Street, which is where the National College of Art and Design is now at the moment. So it's in your genes. Yep, and if you cut me here on the wrist, you'll find uh, some blood, but not a great deal because the rest <laughs> is whisky. <laughs> John, for you, what makes a good whisky? The triple distillation, which is intrinsic to Irish whisky, is the single most important thing. Uh, When you speak of alcohol, there are more than a thousand members of the alcohol family, and the art of the distiller is to separate and retain the good elements of the alcohol family, the ones which, when mature, will make a good whisky, and to separate and get rid of the undesirable elements, which, at their simplest, give a hangover. And all Irish whisky is distilled three times in the old-fashioned copper pot stills, to achieve the maximum purity of the spirit. And no other whiskey in the world is distilled more than twice and sometimes only once. And that triple distillation makes for an extraordinary purity, which we Irish know and love, and the people of the world are beginning to discover for themselves. Whiskey was a seasonal trade, John, uh, when way back in the 18th century. Um, what happened then? Yes, uh, when uh, Sir James Power uh, first built his own country seat down in Edamine in County Wexford, he also took workers from that area to run his distilleries. In those days, distilling was October through March. He bought as much barley as he required in the harvest time, and if he had any barley left over in his stores come April time, it couldn't be used anymore because it started to germinate. Nowadays, of course, with temperature control and humidity control, you can, can d- distilling can be all the year round, but in those days it was seasonal, and uh, John Power used to take his workers from Oilgate, County Wexford. He'd bring them up and work them for six months, 
uh, in the winter. They had a good job, very good pay, and they were well looked after. And then they came back in April then and joined their families again and planted some barley and fished some salmon in the River Slaney. And they really had, they had a great life altogether. And anybody who goes to Oilgate uh, Village nowadays will see over the lintel of the houses in Oilgate uh, Village the, the Power uh, family crest because the houses are actually built by Sir John Power for his distillery workers. Now, you've met many people in your day. Um, what about some of the characters that are around the story of whiskey, the whiskey makers? I think one of the most charming characters of all was Paddy Flaherty, the man who gave his name to Paddy Irish Whiskey. Originally, the brand was called Cork Distilleries Company Old Irish Whiskey, which is a bit of a mouthful to say at the best of times. And when you went into the bar and asked for a glass of Cork Distilleries Company Old Irish Whiskey, you're on the risk of dying of thirst in the course of saying it. And they had a star salesman Cork Distilleries had in the Munster area whose name was Paddy Flaherty. And every time he came round to take the orders from the publican, he was known as a generous man. So if you got your body into the bar in time, you had a good chance of being included in the round. And then the publicans, when they... When they telephoned on the all-electric telephone to Cork Distilleries to place their order, instead of saying, please send me up a dozen of Cork Distilleries Company Old Irish Whiskey, they said, please send me up a dozen of Paddy Flaherty's Whiskey, Paddy's Whiskey. And their name began to stick, and the directors of Cork Distilleries Company recognised a, a good horse in the paddock when they saw one, and so Paddy Flaherty's name started to appear on the label, and today everybody in Ireland knows it as Paddy Irish Whiskey. Now, John, here, you say in this book that whiskey is the nectar that loosens the tongues of poets, the creativity of playwrights, the voices of singers, and the fingers of musicians in every pub in Ireland today. Well, what do you make of that now? I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> is it true, John? Of course it is. Uh, it's a good subject also for toasting. And I've got a great collection of Irish toasts. Here's one for you. Health and long life to you. Land without rent to you. The woman, or indeed the man of your choice to you, a child every year to you, and may you be half an hour in heaven before the devil knows that you're dead. Sloincher. Now you know your whiskies, John. I do. You do. <laughs> do I? What, what we're going to do now is mix them up and let's see how you get on. Now. You ready? All clear, yes. Okay. Now, let's see now. Oh, there's still bourbon. You didn't move that one. Oh, that's still scotch. You didn't move that one. So those two are still the same. Am I right so far? They kind of are, yes. Grand. No, kind they of are. are. They are. Well, don't, 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 they don't, are. I'd be very surprised if that's not scotch. Yes. Very surprised if that's not bourbon. That's bourbon. No. That's Bushmills. That's Paddy. That's Powers. And that's Jemison. How did you know, John? Ultimately, the particular flavour characteristics that typify each of those Irish whiskies are actually identifiable. There aren't enormous differences between them. It's important to remember that. Jemison has a pleasant roundness of character, a pleasant uh, smoothness. It's quite a light character. It's very good. It's one of the reasons why it's the internationally biggest selling brand of Irish whiskey. It's a slightly more approachable whiskey. 
than some of the other ones compared with Powers, which is really quite a, a definite, a heavy is the wrong word, it's a more pronounced flavour in mm. Powers than there would be in Jemison. Bushmills, similarly, is quite a light and approachable whisky. Jemison and Bushmills together are the leading selling international brands of Irish whisky. And of course, these four, four are, if you like, the, the standard brands of the category. There are wonderful deluxe brands beyond that, like like Jemison 1780, which is a 12-year-old big brother of Jemison. And within the Bushmills family, there are two extraordinary whiskies, one called Black Bush and one called Bushmills Single Malt, which is a 10-year-old. That's the only brand of single malt Irish whisky that there is. The habit in Ireland was always to prefer whiskies made from a mixture of malted and unmalted barley mixed before the distilling process started. But in response to world demand for single malt whiskies, we said... Uh, just 10, 15 years ago, we must introduce our own brand of single malt Irish whiskey. And Bushmills is winning gold medals now, like nobody's business in all the great single malt competitions around the world, for two reasons. One, because of its triple distillation. One, because of the absence of that peaty, smoky characteristic, which ca characterises most of the other malt whiskies in Scotland. Bushmills malt is really a wonderful drink. And in tiny quantities, not really available, there's a, a newish one called Bushmills 16-year-old Three Wood. And it is a sensational Irish whisky, but so little of it is around, only about 2,500 cases, that in fact uh, most people will only hear about it, not taste it. I'm looking for a bottle myself. <laughs> well, you got a gold medal, 10 out of 10 for that. Have you one toast for the road? Here's a nice toast for St. Patrick's Day. Although it's not St. Patrick's Day today, St. Patrick had a good role to play in the story of Irish whisky, and I enjoyed this one for that reason. St. Patrick was a gentleman who, through strategy and stealth, drove all the snakes from Ireland. Here's a toasting to his health, but not too many toastings, lest you lose yourself and then forget the good St. Patrick and see all those snakes again. Slow and show. And here's uh, another Irish toast, which is not really suitable for mixed company, but I like it very much. Here's a toast to the girls who will. Here's a toast to the girls who won't. Here's a toast to the girls who say they will, but later on they won't. But here's a toast to that special girl, morning, noon and night. She's the girl who says she never does, but just for you, she might. Slancher. The mill wheel was the driving force of the old Middleton distillery. It still turns today, but no longer powers the operation. Many generations of workers grew up in and around the sights, sounds and smells of the distillery at Middleton. Now, Dennis Mack, you're third generation working here in Middleton Distillery. Who was here before you? My father and two of his brothers and their father. And their father was the back gate man who looked after... Um, anything that went out the back gate or wasn't allowed out the back gate or in, and there was a farm outside and they controlled the water and went to the distillery as well. By a sluice situation that was just outside the gate. And what year was that, roughly? Well, it says 1930s, 40s, 50s. They all had them all here following each other from the air uh, hand, you know. And he walked 365 days of the year. Go away? Yeah. No holidays? No holidays. And was the distillery working 365 days of the year? No, but he was on the gate. And there was there had to be someone there, and he, he, that's the way he worked. He worked every day uh, in the back gate. 
how have things changed or evolved over the years in your family's memory? Well, the whole thing has changed entirely since the Rudolph Silway. Um, there was a lot of seasonal work here before that, and a lot of people from Middleton just came in and worked um, for short periods, making more of some of them, and then in the season itself, in, in rolling bells to the, to the warehouses, where everything is making noise now, and much less meant to do a lot more. Now, your third generation is well, Mick. What does whiskey mean in your family? I suppose... I had the whiskey before I had the milk, really, because uh, everything around me when I was a child was whiskey. I mean, we, we played what was made, and we went for a spin on the horses, because everything was horse-drawn at the time, or the bells were brought to cart it took nearly a whole day to bring two big bells of whiskey to cart. When they were doing the plowing in the land, the man doing the plowing, Paddy Wells, got to be good to him. He was putting me up in the, the house because uh, for fear he'd trample me when he'd be doing the plowing. That's why all my sisters don't want to play around here. My father's two brothers worked here as well. So everything surrounding me was whiskey. Now I'm uh, on the for powers for just to steal whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's made you famous? Well, made me famous, and I made it famous. Jemison, well. <laughs> you're famous. Like Dennis said about his grandfather, he'd have to work every day of the year. Even on Christmas Day, he couldn't get home to have his, his dinner with his children. So my father would slip down for an hour or two so he could go home and enjoy his, his dinner with uh, his family at Christmas. What did your father do? He was a miller. And um, my grandfather worked, worked there as well. <clears throat> and um, my grandmother worked there also. They had Everything was bagged that time because they had no bag, bulk cankers or anything, so the only container they had was bags. So bags had to be sewed and mended and stitched and clipped together. So she did all that. Because there's been no mention of a woman on the plant before now. Well, I don't, there's no way not, way not but uh, it always helps out. Now, Dennis, about Christmas being different in years gone by, you have a story about... Um, a man that you used to come down and see as a child. Yeah, um, Bertie Leone was his name, and he was the foreman master in, in the mild houses. And um, like everybody else, we had our Christmas dinner, but um, there was a, an extra treat every Christmas day, in that about five o'clock I would come down here and he would have a goose, which he would cook and a shovel in the farmers. The potatoes would be in another shovel and he would have a pound of butter and some salt and they were the best Christmas dinners I ever had. <laughs> now, Dick, um, Dennis mentioned about the locks being on the back gate in years gone by, like, say, in the 19th at the turn of the century. And you're the man that makes sure that everything is monitored because you're in customs and excise. Well, I'm one of the men. But uh, the locks are still under the distillery and the warehouses today, eh? See, they're, they're uh, bonded warehouses, so they don't, the distillery has no duty until the whiskey is four, four year old, when it's drawn out, to pay nothing with this and stuff in the bonded warehouses. But uh, today, of course, the customs are above reproach in the distillery, but there was another distillery here one time up the middle road, Hackett's Distillery. Actually, there was two breweries in Middleton as well. But the customs, uh, the fiddle, in Hackett's distillery, and I had to close down 
it took so much out of it. Well, now we're going back to the British customs, not the Irish customs. <laughs> because uh, yeah, that's the 1800s, you know. But uh, they're talking about the old days. If you've done a dirty job in the old days, like cleaning a sore or something, you always got a, a glass of whiskey. There was no extra pay, but you got a glass of whiskey. And there was a chap here by the name of Jimmy Christian, and there was another chap by the name of Michael Savage. Now, Michael Savage done part of the job, and he went over, and he got his glass of whiskey. And Jimmy Christian then got out of the, the sewer and went over for his glass of whiskey, and he, he was refused. And he said, it's an awful thing, he said, when you give a glass of whiskey to a savage and you refuse a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a fact. And, uh, of course, all the warehouses are built in a place called Cahamon, that's the townland. And there was an old verse put together long ago about it. There's an old still uh, by the stream near Carmoon, where we used to sit and dream all alone of the whiskey there beyond. It lies ten years or more in bond. You're my heart's desire. I love you, Paddy dear. And Dick and days gone by, did a customs and excise man, had he a big bunch of keys or something? Or? Oh, yes, yeah. He went, he went around. Every place was locked. So we were brought in to the help out. There's about uh, six of us here now. And you can picture going around the wet there with, with 21 warehouses. You still have those big bunch of keys? Yes, yeah. We still cover the warehouses. Warehouses are still locked around the sea. Because every time someone wants to take a sample or look at something, you That's have to right. be there. And there's a, uh, the locks, they're a, they're a good, if you could see one of them, the front of the lock falls down, and we put a paper seal inside over the keyhole and put back up the front of the lock, and you'll know then if to fiddle with in the morning. The paper is broke, the seal, paper seal. A very simple thing that's gone with hundreds of years, but it's still, it's still a, a great idea. What would your preference be now for a whiskey? Uh, I just love a drop of brandy. I don't bother with the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> the whiskey is beneath me. <laughs> They've a right man on customs and excise, so they're safe out. He told me. Now we have another man here. Joe, you're a cooper, Joe. That's right, sir. Now what does that mean? Well, it means uh, making, repairing, and keeping uh, barrels in condition for the for the spirit from the kind of whiskey in, in the warehouses and that. So, is it true about that sometimes, Joe, barrels went in with a little bit and they came out empty? That's correct, sir. Yeah. That was known as a kind of a, the old sweat drop that would keep the old sweat off you. Yeah. It, it would evaporate when you'd open the barrel, like. <laughs> Let's put it this way. There, there was an old pooper here. When I came here, by the name of Dinny Collins. And um, he was really finished as, as a per- he was a very, very old, I'd say he was well over 65, I'd say well over it even, and he was just keeping the place ticking over, I'd say he did little or anything, but every now and then, Dennis Daly, who was the, the manager of the warehouses, would go in and he would get this heavy smell of smoke at the top of the warehouses, of course, there was a mortal scent of smoke. But he used to go up and he said, Dinny, your rashes again. And he said, Mr. Daly, I was at it before you came and I'll be at it until I leave. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he used to wear a long coat. And um, when they brought in the first vets here for GNS, um, they were doing a job on it. And Dinny was walking along and there was a job being done by a fitter. And and the next thing went to fire, and it looked as if there was going to be an explosion, but they knocked Dinny to the ground, took the cord off him, and wrapped it around the, the pipe, and it saved the whole... It saved the whole... Yeah. 
Barry Crockett, you're the head distiller here in Middleton. What do you do? Well, indeed, Julie, I am the head distiller here in Middleton, and essentially what I do is that I'm responsible for the production of Jemison and the other whiskies that we produce here at Middleton. So therefore, in essence, I am responsible for the entire production operation in terms of brewing and distilling. And essentially, as far as the tradition in the South is concerned, we use malted barley and unmalted barley. Now, it is true to say that both in Bushmills and here at Middleton, all the whiskies go through three cycles of distillation, namely uh, three sequences of distillation, uh, which is unique in relation to, we say, a comparison with Scotch whisky. However, uh, here at Middleton, uh, we carry out a, the tradition of distillation as developed, shall we say, in the Powers Distillery, the Jemson Distillery, and the Cork Distilleries as well. So we are, in fact, a unique operation in terms of carrying on the tradition which was developed over literally hundreds of years, uh, both in Jemson Powers and in the Cork Distilleries. And you also have in your museum the oldest pot still, the largest pot still in the world. Indeed, yes, we have the, the largest pot still in the world, uh, just over 33,000 gallons. And, of course, the history there goes back to uh, 1823, uh, and that distillery operated until the building of the present facility in 1975. So you can see the direct link uh, from the distilling practices going back to 1823 right up to modern times. Now, in your history, your second generation... Correct. Middleton Distillery. That's right. Well, yes... Um, you were born here on the, on the <laughs> distillery plant. Well, I certainly, yes. I lived on the plant uh, on the site of the old Middleton Distillery, now the Heritage Centre. Um, again, that was quite normal. Uh, maybe not normal to the extent that uh, people you know, might have been uh, present at such a young age, shall we say, but... Uh, it was a normal tradition brewing distilling uh, whereby people uh, working for individual companies would have been supplied with company houses. So in that respect, yes, because my father was the head distiller of the old Middleton distillery, obviously then um, he lived on site and clearly that's where I lived as well. An, un- an unusual background, shall we say, because I was born to the job. <laughs> <laughs> and what, how different was your childhood to other children's childhood in terms of living on the distillery? Well, I suppose it's different to this extent that um, the house, which was described as, a, or was described as a cottage, in fact, it would be a bit of a wrong description because it's quite a large house, but was actually located and is located at the centre of the brewing and distilling operations. So therefore, uh, as a child, I saw all the various activities involved in distilling, uh, such as malting, uh, the coming and going of varying people, uh, various trades, carpenters, coopers, uh, blacksmiths. So I was aware of a lot of different activities that perhaps uh, someone living elsewhere clearly couldn't have been aware of. So in that sense, most unusual, yes. And it's been reported that you had trouble sleeping once you moved away from the house to other places because of the mill wheel. <laughs> mill wheel, actually, I suppose you could time the operation uh, in the old distillery to um, the actual... Uh, pressure, shall we say, on the mill wheel. Um, I was certainly used to the sound of the water, uh, the water wheel turning, the noise of that, and it's like any sound that you become used to once you go into a different environment. You just have to readjust yourself. You also have a trained nose, and we haven't talked much about it in terms of the whiskey business, but there are people 
because there are taste panels in whiskey, yes. you as a head distiller would also have a trained nose with regard to whiskey. Well, uh, it's a crucially important aspect to the business, and despite all the advances in technology using very modern methods, uh, the final choice in terms of um, selecting for quality is still most certainly uh, the element of uh, trained nose and um, being able to determine uh, a selection of aromas from one type of whiskey to another. So it's obviously essentially an essential part of the of the job. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying my nose is insured or anything like that, but <laughs> clearly it would be quite a disadvantage if I suddenly lost my sense of, <laughs> of smell, shall we say. <laughs> yes, you couldn't go around by using it by auditory or... No, no, indeed. <laughs> now, you were responsible, at least your, your name is on, is on the label, for Middleton Very Rare. That's right, yes. Well, uh, the Middleton Very Rare is the, uh, has been on the market since 1984. Uh, it's a specially selected product from Middleton, part of the Jemison family, of course, uh, but it's uh, the very top uh, of uh, the range in terms of the whisky that we, we, that we produce. So uh, it's something that uh, receives uh, a lot of attention. Uh, it's uh, particularly marked because of its, again, its smoothness, uh, and of course is very select in terms of the numbers of, of actually bottles available in any individual year. So it's not something which, shall we say, is um, uh, there are hu large volumes of it available. It's specially chosen, specially selected for each individual year. So uh, we select based on, based on quality and obviously not in quantity. Do you keep a bottle from every batch of Milton Very Rare every year? Yes, I have uh, bottles going back uh, from the from the outset. Unfortunately, I have to say they're not all full. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a mark of a good whiskey. A mark of a good whiskey. That's right. <laughs> Do you see whiskey as magic in a bottle? Well, firstly, whiskey is a mark of a native Irish beverage. It is something which was developed initially in Ireland, and obviously our Scots cousins have developed and uh, taken the idea. But uh, we remain the proud, uh, shall we say, uh, present-day distillers of a product which has been in the Irish tradition for many, many, not only just hundreds, but indeed over 1,500 years. So essentially, at the end of the day, like a, a good book, a good novel, um, like good music, uh, a good piece of music uh, will live because it's enjoyed equally. Good whiskey will continue equally because it's enjoyed.